This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by Bachelor Nation's one and only Mr. Michael G. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. What's going on? Well, it's a pleasure to have you. What's going on? How are you today? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, this is a nice little uh, lunch break on the, on the West Coast. Uh, that's where I am right now. I just got to LA. Um, from New York City in early November. And, uh, you know, as we were discussing a little bit earlier, I'm, I'm just busy, you know, sort of putting out fires at, at work at the moment. Um, sort of uh, all the, my inbox just continues to, to be flooded. It is like uh, triage here. But happy to take this, uh, this break and, and chat with you and, you know, clear my head a little bit and, and also complain to you. And you can, you know, bill me by the hour for that. You can listen. First of all, you can complain to me all you want. Now, I mean, I don't brag about this, but I am actually a lawyer myself. I, I know you are. That's okay. why I'm, you can empathize with that. That's why I feel like we're on the same wavelength. I can empathize. What type? There's like I one person I went to law school with who still practices, but what? <laughs> What type of law do you do? Like, what that do you poor, do? That poor person. Um, Th- that poor person, yes. yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I do it all now. I, I started my career as a litigator. Um, you know, I, I clerked for a federal judge. I was a federal prosecutor in Miami for, um, for five years uh, with the United States Department of Justice. And then I sort of switched gears uh, and went in-house. I've been in-house for the past six years. And now I'm sort of a... Uh, corporate generalist with uh, an, an expertise, certainly in, in litigation and regulatory compliance. Do you love being in house? I mean, isn't that kind of the dream for some people? It, you know, being in house is is has its moments. Uh, I will say, um, it, it it can be great, and then there are times where it is also. You know, I, I think the. Um, you know, the volume is, is not, at my current role, is not what the typical in-house role sort of, um, you know, has, you know, in store for it. Um, here, it's, it's, it's nonstop craziness. It's definitely not a, it's not banker's hours, you know, it's not a nine to five job at all. I always said, like, if I had a do I mean, I practice corporate tax law, so that's part of the problem. Let's not even get into that. But yeah. I, I think being a litigator for, like, criminal, like, I would love to do criminal defense. I have no regrets. I'm not going back. I'm just saying in another life. So did you love being yeah. a prosecutor? I mean, I, I had some great battles. Obviously, I was on the other side. I was a prosecutor, but, you know, I had some great battles with some great, great defense attorneys um, in trial and, and, and et cetera. And, um, you know, obviously, I... Um, you know, if, if any of, you know, if you've seen any of my social media, you know that I am, am pretty progressive, uh, despite that I was a, a prosecutor. And, and so I do um, definitely respect and admire um, people on the, in the defense bar. And, and that's something I, I've done a little bit of, of white collar defense myself. Well, and then we'll move on. Like the other day, I guess, you know, someone didn't think I was having the most highbrow 
conversation. You know how people love to give a review or criticize these days. So someone literally made a reference to the fact that like, you know, and he says he's a lawyer. I'm like, no one would brag about being a lawyer if they really weren't a lawyer. So sorry, I sound stupid. And I just yeah, want to talk no, about reality I, I TV. Do not, the, I do not brag about being a lawyer. The only thing I'm, I'm currently very grateful for is to have a, a, a paycheck and a, and health insurance, which is, you know, which, you know, everyone in this country should, should at least have health insurance. But, you know, I guess that's, that's probably a topic for another day. But Are I, you- I am grateful for those things. So that being a lawyer, um, entitles me to those things at the moment. So that's nice. Take them and run. Are you living in LA now? Like, is that, or were you in New York? Like you moved to LA permanently or you're just between the two? Yeah, well, I, um, I am, I'm kind of, you know, I signed a two year lease here. And and so I'm here for the foreseeable future. You know, nothing is, I feel like nothing is permanent, uh, in my life, you know, things can change. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm always open to, you know, to being flexible and to, to changing locations if, if something comes up. But, I'm, you know, I'm here for at least the next next year and a half. I've only been here for, for what, like three months now. So it's a quick. So before we get into like Bachelor Nation and all this other stuff, you know, like when I ask people how they are, normally it's like great and then we move on. But in your case, yeah. let's talk about, you know, like I know earlier this year you were attacked. It was in this parking garage where you live now. Yes. Yeah, kind of crazy. The last thing you you know expect to happen to you when you are moving uh, to a new city is to be um, assaulted in your own parking garage by a security guard who's paid to protect you and and your fellow residents. Um, just uh, a disturbed, unhinged individual who you know uh, turns out um, made that known on his social media all over the place, um, and yet. Um, was still hired to do that job, which, you know, you know, obviously um, begs a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, like, especially when it's in your own parking garage. Right. You know, I know that I know other residents in my building when they learned of this, especially, um, you know, some, some female neighbors of mine were sort of terrified that this could even happen. I mean, I was, it was not, two in the morning or crazy, you know, it was eight 30 on a Sunday. I was going down to get groceries and um, this security guard whom I had seen patrolling the building multiple times indoors in common spaces, uh, not wearing a mask um, was sort of walking right behind me and within two feet. And I held the door open for him. We come into the parking garage and I sort of said very like, politely and very like kindly like hey man like you're a security guard like you you need to be a should be a role model and wear a mask so like other people will wear a mask and we can you know we can get over this and this this was you know January 10th which was you know if you if you've been following the news in for LA right we're in the height of you know ICUs are at capacity everything is shut down even outdoor dining like we can't do anything here and you know our cases are just you know continue to to increase by the day. So, you know, you're, we're at a point here where it's like, there's ever a time to be wearing a mask and like be considerate of others and, and not want to spread um, COVID-19. It was at in that in that time period. And also if there's any person who should be required to wear a mask, it would be a security guard. And they are in fact required to do so. So the fact that this, this particular security guard just kept flouting the rules was, you know, it was something that I had noticed, but never sort of went out of my way to say anything to him. It just so happens that this night, he happened to be within six feet of me and not wearing a mask. And so I just thought I would just say, you know, very sort of, you know, 
calmly and politely just like hey man like you should wear a mask like we're all in this together and he um being the unhinged deranged individual he is kind of went from zero to a hundred and just started shouting at me about you know why should why should i have to wear a mask who says i have to wear a mask and then right away i'm, I'm not kidding he starts going the jews who says the jews like literally quote you know what what he said to me and i I was like, oh my God, I have a, you know, a live one here. And I took out my, you know, my phone and started filming him, which only, which, you know, obviously it didn't cause him to retract any of his comments. He was just emboldened and obviously felt very strongly about this. Um, and and his, his social media would corroborate that, those strong feelings. Um, he's not trying to hide how he feels about um, about Jewish people. Uh, and, uh, and so I got, you know, some of that on film and he ended up, you know, in his infinite wisdom, trying to grab my phone because he, I guess he thought, you know, that he would destroy the evidence that I had that would get him fired. And, uh, in, in, you know, in doing so he, you know, punched me in the head a few times and there was a, you know, I, I tried to restrain him. I ended up tearing a, in my calf, uh, my right calf and I hurt my back. And, um, obviously, you know, he destroyed my phone. He threw my phone against the ground. So this is, this is crazy, you know, for a number of reasons, but you know, the craziest part about it to me is that you have a, you have a security guard with known anti-Semitic views on social media. He was banned from Twitter for taking anti-Semitic views. His Facebook is a veritable treasure trove of anti-Semitic rants and posts. And yet, you know, someone decided that he should be hired <laughs> to patrol uh, a residential building in Los Angeles County of all places where if, you know, there happens to be a, a Jewish population here, uh, needless to say. I am not actually Jewish. That is the thing. He, he later also, because he's so brazen and so emboldened by these ideas and so radicalized, I guess, he actually told the detective that he thought that I was Jewish when he attacked me. So he walked himself into uh, a number of hate crimes, and he's been charged by the Los Angeles District Attorney with um, two felony hate crimes and then an, an underlying substantive misdemeanor hate crime. So felony assault, felony vandalism, all enhanced with hate crimes, and then also an underlying um, hate crime violation as well. So three three counts. I was going to say, I mean, I, I didn't know. I have saw the video and I know, but I didn't know there was all this social media stuff also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, wow. that was basically, you know, with my background as a, as a former federal prosecutor, I basically did my own investigation and presented it to the detective and the DA as a hate crime. And they agreed with me. And, and there's plenty of evidence. And then his own incriminating statements, I mean, he made, I mean, the guy just can't help himself. Like he is, he is not ashamed or embarrassed to admit that he hates Jewish people and he feels very justified in his in his hate, which makes him even scarier, obviously, also as a former military background. Like he just he just fits the profile of someone who was a ticking time bomb. And um, you know, I'm I'm just fortunate that, you know, these injuries eventually I'm going to physical therapy and, you know, I, I replaced my phone and, you know, I'm just fortunate that these injuries will heal and that hopefully this person will be prevented from uh, owning a firearm, number one, and number two, from, you know, attacking someone else who actually is Jewish or, or, you know, or any other race that he may hold some hatred in his heart for. Well, that's the thing, like, was he armed because he was a security guard? 
No, I mean, uh, our security guards don't have guns. I, mean, I didn't I, mean, I, know, I didn't think you know, he I, I don't really know. You know, at the time, you're he's in uniform. He's wearing this coat. Yeah. You don't really know. Like, what does he have on him? And, and also, you know, he's not wearing a mask. So, and that's really what's going through my mind is I'm also, I'm a type one diabetic, right? So I have an underlying condition. So I didn't even go home to see my family for Christmas. The last thing I want to be doing is wrestling with this security guard in my parking garage who's not wearing a mask. And, um... Yeah, I didn't know. He could have, you know, he didn't. He could have had a gravity knife on him. He could have had a gun on him. I, I don't know. I don't know what he had back in his car. He could have got. I mean, all these things were going through my mind, and um, and still are. You know, I, at night when I'm walking my dog, etc. I mean, he knows the building. He worked here. And, you know, presumably he could come back and, and find me if, if that was something that he wanted to do. So that you know, definitely those those thoughts crossed my mind. Were you scared at all? I mean, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I'm very calm. But if someone gets in my face, you know, like I stick up for myself too. So, but nowadays I am more cautious to, you know, like, were you scared? Like when he was coming at you? I wasn't. I mean, you're bigger than I am, but still. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't scared that I was going to have to go, you know, seven rounds with this guy. Like that wasn't what, what was scary was the look in his eyes. Like he was on another planet. Like he is deranged. And when you deal with someone who's not rational, you can't sort of prepare for what they are capable of doing or what they will do. Like if he was just a reasonable person, say, say he came down and says, say I was a jerk to him and said, you know, you know, hey, jerk face, like put on a mask and like started with him and then he came after like, it's like, okay, well maybe you expect, like you don't expect something to go to physical violence at, at this as, you know, an adult man, I would hope, but, but, you know, maybe you would sort of understand, but the fact that this escalated the way it did, you know, he is not operating on the, on, on the same, you know, level as, as, as we are. And, and he's just, um, so, you know, it's just all rules are, are out the window. And so you, you don't know, you don't know what he's capable of doing, what he's, you know, he could really do serious injury, you know, you know, uh, cause serious injury, injury to someone and feel in his own head that is justified because this person is Jewish and they're controlling the, the COVID-19 virus and, and, and brainwashing all of us. And, you know, um, you know, as he said, at one point, you know, he thinks, this is a Marxist agenda. He kept saying that over and over. So, I mean, he was just Looney Tunes, which is, you know, which is why, um, you know, uh, which is, which is why it is a little scary. And I was a little scared, not, not because he was physically intimidating, but because I didn't know what someone like that. And in that state of mind is capable of. Yeah. That's what I mean. People are on edge these days and just losing it. You guys know I've never been great in the kitchen, but that has all changed with HelloFresh. HelloFresh makes it so easy. You get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and amazing seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. And you have over 25 recipes to choose from each week. There's something for everyone. They are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts, so they taste good and they're nutritional. And variety, you guys know I get bored so easily. Variety is the spice of life. You have over 25 delicious recipes to choose from every week. And what I love is it cuts out the stressful meal planning and the trips to the grocery store. So I no longer have to go to the grocery store. These meals are ready in less than 30 minutes, 30 minutes or less. So I look at, I work so hard for you guys on the Behind the Velvet Row podcast. It's just me 
When I'm done, I go to my kitchen. Everything is spelled out. There's no thought process that goes into this. It's amazing. They take all the hard work out of it for you. And the meals are delicious and they're literally ready in less than 30 minutes. Listen, I have to go make one now because I'm freaking starving. So if you go to hellofresh.com slash 12velvet and use the code 12velvet, you get 12 free meals, including free shipping. Let me just repeat that. Go to hellofresh.com slash 12velvet. And if you use code 12velvet, 12velvet, you get 12 free meals. That's that's unbelievable. And it includes free shipping. You guys, this, these meals are so great. 12 free meals. Listen, don't take my word for it. They're not just America's number one meal kit because I say so. You guys have to try this. Enjoy. Yeah. I mean, normal people are on edge and then you have someone obviously who's, who's radicalized and who's, you know, holding a, you know, a, a position where he's supposed to be protecting people and, and, and has access to a residential building and, 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 that's, you know, that's, that's scary. And then I'll move on not to harp on the lawyer thing, but you know, what they say is like, don't fuck with a lawyer, which is true. I've had issues in my life and I'm like, okay, well, yeah. I'm the nicest person. If you draw a line down the middle and there's something that we need to accomplish, I will go into lawyer mode. So were the police like speechless when you showed up and you're like, I've just been spending the past four days doing this and here's the case and all this other stuff. Well, you know, they, they appear, you know, I called 911 that, that night as, you know, as when I got my phone back, the phone was destroyed, but it was still able to make calls. Um, and so, uh, you know, deputies from the LA Sheriff's Department showed up, you know, a couple hours later, an hour later or so. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I tried to tell them to arrest that we should go, I should do a show, what's called a show up identification. You know, I'm, I'm not only a lawyer, like I was a prosecutor, so I know yeah. how these, these things work. And, and so I said, you know, we should, I'm the victim. You should take me to do a show up identification of the, of the perp, of the suspect, and then you should apprehend the suspect. That's how this works. And they were like, oh, we're just here to take a report. Like you'll hear from a detective, which at the time was very frustrating because they were lazy, but, um, but it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. But because because of that delay, I was able to get his visit security guard's full name um, from my building and the security guard company, and then do my like I said, do my own investigation. And when I finally got in touch with the detective, and I presented him with this all this evidence, and then you know basically said to him, you know, you should you should try to talk to this guy, contact him. I bet you he will talk to you. You know, because he has no he has no he's un, under no um, you know, not required to talk to the detective when you call the phone. You could just hang up and say, you know, you talk to my lawyer or, you know, no way, you know, like he's, he's on the phone. He could just hang up. But he, this guy, you know, talked to the detective and he told the detective exactly what you needed to hear to, to fully support this charge, which is that he thought I was Jewish. And that's why he attacked me. He, he targeted a victim for his perceived, um, you know, ethnicity or nationality. So what happens now with the case? Like it's going through the system and you'll be involved. He's been arrested. He's been arraigned. And um, yeah, uh, you know, I'm in touch with the DA's office and we'll see what ends up happening. You know, I think this, you know, I, I, I don't know what his prior record is exactly, but I, you know, I would imagine that, you know, even though there are two felonies, um, I would imagine that this is not a, a case where he will do substantial jail time, but it is a case where I, I do want him to plead guilty to a felony so that he can no longer possess a firearm 
you know, that's a big consideration because if he's, you know, I don't think this is going to rehabilitate him, this incident, unfortunately, but I think he's going to continue to have these views and, and be and reside in, in or around Los Angeles County where there is a large Jewish population. And I, I just don't want someone like that being legally allowed to have a gun. Yeah, it's scary. But like you said, I mean, yeah, if you're going to, first of all, if you're going to target a victim in their own parking garage, like, well, maybe make sure that they actually are Jewish, number one. Number two, uh, maybe check their LinkedIn, make sure they're not a former federal prosecutor, right? Like, that is, like, the not only just a lawyer, but, like, the last person you want to do this to is, is someone who is, you know, who knows the criminal justice system and, and was a prosecutor themselves. I would think so, right. Like, I was a lawyer. I wouldn't know anything about this other than bare basics that I knew to take past the bar. But, like, you know, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure the police were like, what? Like, when you brought a file and you're like, this is what I've done for three days and I contacted this oh, person. Oh, yeah, the detective was great. Yeah, the detective was amazing and he was, like, fully on board and he was just, he was sort of like, I cannot believe this guy just, you know, said these things and had this stuff just, you know, I didn't have to go on 4chan to find this this stuff, you know, I didn't have to go on the dark web. I mean, this stuff, any 15 year old with a laptop could find this guy's posts on Facebook and his, um, his you know, deleted, now deleted tweets because he was banned from Twitter. But, you know, it, it's all there. You could see all the replies to it and, and everything else, so. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you're okay. So how does that- I'm still limping around and going to physical therapy twice a week, but, but, you know, yes, all things considered, I'm lucky that, you know, that, that it, it wasn't worse. Yeah, seriously. And that's what I meant by scared, just in that, you know, you don't know, like when you see that in someone's eyes, like I've seen it, you know, it's just, you yeah, don't know. Right. Like- and, I, and I still, you know, I still obviously I live at the same building. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it is, I still am looking over my shoulder at night when I'm walking my dog and I'm locking my doors and doing things like that. And that, you know, that comes from a little bit of a fear of, you know, every time I enter that parking garage now at night, I'm, you know, sort of reliving uh, what happened to an extent. You know, and they say things about not to make light of it, but they say, you know, everyone's scared in New York and it's like, New York's one of the safest cities. Like, it's just ironic that everyone's afraid. Yeah, well, this was here. a rude welcome to LA for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just also, I'm also just, I cannot believe how many, you know, people that are here that do not wear masks. Like, even talking about, like, even in elevators. And, I mean, it's not, this security guard is not the only one that's just walking around indoors without wearing a mask. I mean, it's just the lack of consideration and the stu- stupidity here is just, uh, I'm surprised and shocked and, and disappointed all the things because I thought I was leaving, you know, what is a, a generally very progressive city and, and arriving at another. Uh, and, and it has not, when it comes to wearing masks, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's political or if it's just more uh, just, just a total um, selfishness and self-centeredness and, and lack of consideration. But you know, I've been disappointed with the um, with the mask wearing. Uh, and you see a difference between New York and LA. Oh, huge difference! Huge difference. I mean, it's not it's day and night in New York. The 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 few people you'd see without masks, you know, would be walking around outside without a mask, and even then, you know, they're in the minority. Here, it, I'm talking about people inside not wearing masks, not wearing them properly, not wearing masks in elevators. I mean, if there's one place on planet Earth yes. where you need to wear a mask. It's inside an elevator where they're, where it's enclosed, there's no ventilation. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's mask wearing 101. Uh, and, and I can't believe it's a year later. And, and given the, the condition of uh, the pandemic in LA, especially the fact that these people are still 
you know, you know, just, just, you know, doing what they, whatever they want, you know, just shows the, the quality of, of the people out here, unfortunately, of the majority of people. So how does a formal federal prosecutor get involved with the bachelorette? Yes. I'm, I'm t- taking a turn left here. It's good. It's a, yeah. It's a good segue. Um, I, yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a good story. So I was at the time, yeah, as you said, I was, um, you know, I was a federal prosecutor. I was an assistant United States attorney um, residing in Miami, uh, working for the United States Department of Justice out of the Miami office. And I had gone through a, a very bad breakup, um, bad in the sense that it was just very heartbreaking. This was a girl um, for whom I, I cared a great deal. I, I, I thought we were going to get married, we were living together, and we broke up and she moved on very quickly to someone else. And, you know, I had to see evidence of that, which was obviously painful. And I had four different um, girlfriends from different parts of my life all nominate me to do uh, The Bachelorette. And I got a call from, you know, ABC Casting and, and said, you know, look, these four friends all nominated you, you know, you should come to our open casting call, like on like a Wednesday in Orlando. And I was like, hey, like, that's, that sounds fun. And, and, and I'm flattered. However, you know, like I, I have a, a job, you know, where I can't just take a Wednesday off. And also Miami is not Orlando. Like I get it that you live in California, you may not know this, but th- those two places are three and a half, four, four hours apart, you know? So I said, you know, I saw, kind of said thank you, but I also said, you know, who, who was it that nominated me just so I know? And, and she told me, and I, I, it was funny because I, it was strange to me at the time because none of those four women know one another. You know, they're all from very different parts of my life, you know, and so, um, you know, one's like a New York friend, one's a law school friend, a college friend, a a friend from growing up. And so, um, you know, I thought that was pretty coincidental that, you know, it's not like they got together and were like, hey, let's all nominate Michael. It was sort of, you know, they all took it on upon themselves. And when I called them that night, they all were like, you know, Michael, you need to do this. Like you've been so heartbroken and this will be a great distraction. And, you know, who knows what will happen. And so, you know, I I thought about it and, and, but I'm still like, look, I'm not gonna be able to do this anyway. Look with the job I have right now, like it's a very serious job. And, you know, Wednesday I'm I'm in court, you know, all day pretty much, um, you know, hearings in the morning and afternoon. And then turns out that Wednesday showed up and um, the, hearing I had in the morning happened to be continued, needed defense counsel asked for a continuance, so that was gone. And the hearing I had in the afternoon was moved, pushed to the morning. Um, and so now all of a sudden I had this afternoon free, which was which is very rare. And so like all these things are coming together and you start to just like, hmm, like is this, you know, some sort of fate? And you know, not that I'm a huge believer in that, but I, I was, you know, starting to be like, wow, that's kind of strange. Like these four women, they don't know each other. They all nominate me. Then all of a sudden I have this afternoon race. So I was like, you know what? Like, screw it. I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. So I, I took the afternoon, like set out a doctor's appointment or whatever I said, and drove to Orlando in my suit, like did an hour and a half on camera, came back. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'm, I'm, they're coming to Miami to see me. Two weeks later, coming to Miami again. Then I'm getting flown to LA when it's the top 50 and, 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 you know, the finalist weekend. And, um, you know, before I know it, I'm getting an offer to be one of the top 25 men and to be on the show. And at that point, I was like, okay, well, now that I have actually have the offer, you know, and during the process, I'm like, look, I'm never going to get this, right? The odds are so slim. And, 
at the at the end of the day, I got a free flight to LA. I got to you know to, I got this fun experience to meet all these you know people and, and do all these interviews and talk about myself. You know, it's it's great. It was like therapy. Um, and but I was like, now that I have an offer, I actually will I will ask for permission, see if there's a way to do it. But I I you know I'm 99.9% sure they're going to say no, and that ends my journey, and that's it. And so producers are like, yeah, we understand, we kind of figured, but you know, please let us know and. So I make an appointment to speak to the U.S. attorney. He was appointed by President Obama, and I was one of his very first hires uh, as a as a, a line uh, federal prosecutor. And he, I just, I'll never forget. You know, he he sat on the same side of his desk as me, and he kind of looked at me and he said, "You're not quitting, are you?" And I said, "No, no, I'm not quitting, but I have this really unique opportunity." And I started to tell him about it, and he goes, he, at the end of it, he turns to me and he goes, um, "He goes, well." You know, I'm not shocked that they would want someone like you. You're you're charming. You're successful. You're you know you're you're a good guy. Is this is this something you want to do? Do you want to do this? And I was like, I, you know, I, I think it would be fun. And I think you know, look, leave no stone unturned. I have been heartbroken, and and I, I think you know, who knows if I, if I'm not even if I don't make it um, all the way with the Bachelorette, and we are not compatible, and we don't end up together. Like I'm going to meet so many people from having had this experience that. Um, you never know who I might meet, you know, from either from other seasons or from friends of friends or from events or, you know, things you get involved with. And I mean, you know, David, I wouldn't have met you if I hadn't have done this. Right. I mean, like this would we would not be on, you know, on this podcast together right now. So it's like all these things are really sort of, you know, at, at the time, I, you know, I, I realized that. And so the, pro, the, the the funny part is just that the process to get the permission to take a leave of absence to do a television show from the Department of Justice is is obviously intense, and it's something that no other contestant to this day has had to gone had to go through. You know, I'm still the only one who was a former federal prosecutor to to do the a federal prosecutor at the time to to do something like this, and so I had to get I had to transfer all 87 of my cases and and get those handled squared away with all the case agents and everything else. I had to get permission from each of my supervisors now that I, and I, because I had the blessing of the United States attorney, that was, that was pretty easy, but I had to draft a memo as to why I needed this leave of absence and what I was going to be doing. And then I had to go up through Maine justice in Washington, DC. And ultimately it had to pass through the ethics committee. And then it had to, it landed on the desk of the United States attorney general, Eric Holder, who signed and gave me permission to do, to take the leave of absence for purposes of, of doing the bachelorette. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Wait, I have another question. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, listen, I love being the host of the Behind the Velvet Rope podcast, but bringing you guys five shows a week, tracking down the top Bravo liberties to bring you new creative content every day. That causes me stress. It causes me anxiety. I'm not even going to get into the lack of sleep or lack of a relationship. So I needed somewhere to turn. And for me, 
I turned to BetterHelp. I love BetterHelp because it's professional counseling right from the comfort of your own home. What they do is they match you with a licensed therapist who's a professional that fits your needs and the things that you want to talk about. So you may not have the same issues as I do. They also deal with LGBTQIA issues, anger, grief, trauma. If you are having relationship issues, if you're in a relationship, good for you. I'm not. They really deal with everything and everything you share is confidential. So I cannot stress how much because of this job that I love so much, it has caused me some issues and better help really is a lifesaver. Right now, if you guys also want to start living a happier life, as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash velvetrope. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash velvetrope. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Velvet Rope. And as a listener, you guys get 10% off your first month. Try it. I promise you, you are going to feel so much better once you talk to one of their licensed professional counselors. And listen, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. DM me. Let me know how it goes. This has been a lifesaver for me. Did anyone, when this was going up the chain, say like, oh, I'm like a huge Bachelorette fan or Bachelor Nation I mean, fan? People got a kick out of it for sure. Um, I think there was some concern about my being listed or as a, as a federal prosecutor and, and, and doing something that would, um, you know, bring shame to the Department of Justice. Like if I was there, I was a, a complete jerk or threatened to deport someone or like did something like that and, and, or set someone on fire. You know, I mean, obviously I didn't do any of those things and I... I you know, was careful with, with, with drinking and other things, which, you know, um, just to be sure that I didn't do anything like that. And, um, you know, and once, obviously, once I was cast, you know, it, it leaks right away that I'm a former federal, that, not a former, sorry, I keep saying former, I, I, that I, at the time, a federal prosecutor is going to be on the show. And, and so it leaked in all the, the court blogs, and then Reality Steve got it and, and everything else. So it became that issue of, will you be named? like listed and, and, you know, in your Michael G, you know, whatever, what, what will it say is your occupation was sort of moot by then. So they were able to do federal prosecutor, you know. What about, yeah, I mean, were you extra, I mean, was it probably like on your mind the whole time? I mean, I assume anyone has this, like if you have a real job, but you know, like you hear about people on Big Brother, they always lose their jobs. Well, a lot of them lose their jobs. Mm. I think it's those after dark feeds, but you know, like, were you conscious of that the whole time of like, you know, sure. everyone yeah, is watching certainly. that. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, certainly that's, that's in the back of your mind and you're, you know, you're, you're careful of, of the things you're saying, but you know, as you, as it goes along and you feel, you start feeling more comfortable with, you know, with the producers and with being in front of a camera, you know, that, that does fade away a little bit and you just sort of rely on the fact that you are a certain kind of person and you, you hope that, you not um, do anything that would, you know, would jeopardize obviously your career. And at the time, what was my dream job? Did you know like Desiree before, like, did you know of her? Like, did you watch any of this? Like, were you in this world or did these girls who nominate you like explain who was who, or like you had no idea who the bachelorette was? Not, not really. I did watch some of uh, 
the season before Sean's season that Desiree was on just to get an idea. I mean, I knew of, obviously, you know, I knew of The Bachelor and the franchise and I, I knew the premise of the show, but I never watched it or studied it, I should say, like methodically to know what the patterns were and, the, you know, sort of the formula that they use every season time and time again. And um, but I, I knew enough about Desiree. Obviously, I knew who she was. I knew what she looked like. I knew that I was attracted to her and that she seemed like very sort of down to earth girl next door. And so that that was enough for me to at least want to meet her and see if, if you know, where things would go. Do you watch, like, have you watched since? Like, are you watching this current season with Matt James? Like, are you up on all that's going on? Yeah, I watch a little bit of the beginning. I know generally what's going on because of Twitter. Um, You know, that my Twitter feed is, as you can imagine, a lot of of Bachelor folks. And um, I... I'm not watching it religiously. I watched, you know, Claire was a, is a good friend of mine. And so I watched um, her season. I, I watched a little bit of when Tasha took over, but not much because my, you know, I was, I was watching, I was watching entire episodes for Claire because I know her. Like, obviously, when Nick Vial was, was Bachelor, I watched that because I knew him. Um, you know, stuff like that. I, I think I don't want, I am not, it is no longer appointment television for me on Monday nights. Like, two hours is just way too long and then bachelor in paradise becomes even longer when it was like monday tuesday and an hour after episode like i just i don't have the time you know to dedicate to that and it's you know it's 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 uh like diminishing returns at this point you know like that like that kind of it's uh, you know that's kind of in the past for me i get it i have some questions about some current things in bachelor nation which we'll get to but before we get there so you know you were heartbroken and you went on this show you know, you went for the right reasons, like maybe to at least get over the other person. But then were you heartbroken all over again when you were eliminated or you never really got there? You know, I, so I, you know, I got, I made it to the top five, which, yeah. which I didn't, you know, based on, you know, I thought the, the, the men on my season were, were overall great guys. So I was just sort of, so sort of flattered that I even made it as far as I did. And, you know, I, you know, I survived a two on one date, which was, you know, very stressful. And, and, um, and then, you know, you're feeling you're riding the high from that. And then, you know, the following week, then it gets, it was in my season, it was eliminated. The elimination was the Roser moves from eight to five, which is, you know, uh, you know, normally it's just, it goes eight to six and then six to four, this, this one, eight to five. So, you know, when I made that, I was like, wow, you know, then you start to sort of think and believe and be like, okay, maybe this could be something. And then I had my, my one-on-one date. And so you're feeling really good. And, you know, I definitely wasn't, then I, then you watch, you don't know what's going on with the other guys, like in their time with, with the bachelorette. Right. So when I watched the season, I could see that the guys were a lot further ahead in their feelings and, 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 and communicating those feelings than I was. And so, um, I wasn't surprised that I was, I was surprised in the moment that I was eliminated when I was, but I, but watching it back, it, it made total sense. And these, some of these other guys were telling her that they loved her already. And I, I certainly was not, was not there at all. Um, so, but I was, you know, rejection doesn't feel good. And it also, you know, reopens wounds that you had just felt right before I did the show, I was heartbroken. And I, I was, you know, that, that wound had not fully healed, you know, if I'm being honest. And so when you're then, um, eliminated and rejected, you know, it's not so much, you're not only feeling the pain from, you know, in my case, Desiree rejecting you, you're feeling also the pain from the last relationship that just ended. And then that it's sort of, like I said, it's, it's real, it's picking the scab off of that wound. Um, 
But yeah, I would say that I definitely, you know, did the show, you know, for the right reasons to use that cliche. I, I was there looking for love, and I, but I was also realistic that if it was not going to happen with Desiree, that maybe it would happen somehow through meeting this new network of people that, you know, but for the show and this experience, I would not have known otherwise. And you have to remember too, David, like this is a time where Instagram is brand new. Like this is not, people are not doing this show. Maybe people are doing the show at the time to, to want to be the bachelor or bachelorette, but, but that kind of fame, but people are not doing the show to, to sell tea whitener and protein shake and, and detox tea and all that nonsense. Um, you know, the, the Instagram was just brand, I didn't join Instagram until I, you know, sort of got off the show um, and, and same with Twitter. So it was all a new, that was a new thing. Um, you know, this idea of doing things like this for followers and for to be a social media influencer. Are you shocked? Right. Are you shocked that now that's kind of what the show has become? Listen, I think there's a lot of people that go for the right reasons. I do, but there's a lot of people. Nope. I don't know. Don't. I don't know. I think it's a combination. I think people do it for a combination of reasons now, at least. I think some people do, you know, obviously do want to find someone. I don't think, I don't think wanting to to find love. I think we all want to find love to an extent, you know, if we're not, if we don't already have romantic love, that is, um, you know, and, and so I think, you know, those two things are not mutually exclusive. There are people obviously who want to find love, but who also are like, and in the meantime, it wouldn't be so bad to have a hundred thousand followers, you know, just for being on TV for two weeks and, uh, you know, monetizing that, you know, so it really, you know, really depends. And I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but it, it, given the instant, ticket to fame and, and all those things now and and you know it whatever fame social media fame it, you know it really is a lot more difficult to find the people that are there truly to just to just to find love i think it's just a combination of both things like and and i don't think there's anything wrong with that don't get me wrong i'm not judging them i just think that's you know that's what it is and we can all be honest about that i would agree with all that i just wonder when it will topple over in the sense that like not to sound jaded but like who doesn't have a hundred thousand, you know, 300,000 followers? Like, again, that's not an easy thing, but lots of people have 600,000 followers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of other things. I, I agree with everything you're saying. It's just to me, like, you know, when you go from that to the bachelor, to dancing with stars, to like working at extra TV. Okay. Well now we got something here. I just think, I don't know, but I, I agree with you. I think like even this season, like, I don't know if you're watching, but like, I mean, Queen Victoria, who's not on it anymore. There's just people that you're like, we will be talking about this particular person. I think you're right. Like who's going to turn love away if that comes as a byproduct of right. this? And, and I think also, you know, for people like, I did watch a little bit of Victoria, so I know, you know, what you're talking about. I think for people like that, it, it's sort of, turning into that caricature becomes a defense mechanism, obviously. Like they, they sort of, you know, look at the lay of the land and they say, the odds of my ending up with Matt um, based on, you know, whoever else is in this room or et cetera and who Matt is, is, is very slim. And so my, now what's my incentive not to be um, entertaining and to, take that to the next level and to really just, and also to really cooperate with what the producers want. And you start to, I guess, people like that start to believe if I cooperate and give the producers what they want, my chances of staying here longer and thereby increasing my following and everything else is, is doubled or tripled exponentially, et cetera. And so they, they really, 
um, lean into that, you know, that caricature, I think. Uh, and, and I think that explains a lot because I, you know, it's, I don't know, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, as, as myself going into something like that, being like, I'm going to be the villain. Like, I want to be the, like, the punchline and the jackass, you know, like, I, that is not how you, what you think, or at least not me. So, I, you know, I just try to, it, the psychology of it is very interesting. And, you know, I don't know, you know, as, so long as people continue to watch this, I mean, people, the, the ratings are still incredible, despite that everyone knows that these, all these, you know, 25 year old social media influencers are not really here to get married. Like people still watch. And I, I think the only true experiment would be to, to just really just swing the pendulum entirely the other way and get, get people who are just unknowns, get people who are not, don't already have, you know, these like, big Instagram followings and aren't like these, like just get normal people who are like, you know, maybe, you know, I, I'm not, I know I'm biased, but maybe a little bit older who like actually could settle down. And, and, and that's why, you know, another reason I was so excited for Claire's season is obviously she's, you know, more mature and, and, and she actually, you know, she, and, and probably because she already does have the, the following, she doesn't sound interested in any more of that, you know, she was very much there on a mission to, to, to find love and to find that uh, a partner. I agree with all that. I mean, did you find, do you think that really plays a factor? Like, you know, where producers, like, did you see anything like that where producers are like, like, okay, I mean, they just asked Matt the other night on Watch What Happens, like, how into Victoria were you? And he just started drinking and wouldn't answer. So, okay, so it doesn't seem like you were ever into her, but yet you kept her for three or four rounds. You mean yeah. to tell me producers didn't say, um, pick someone else, she's not going home for at least four, three, seven weeks? There is a, look, I mean, there's different, it's different every season and, and obviously for there, you know, things do change. And so I don't want to, again, I don't want to give the, I want to give the caveat that you can't, I can't really generalize, but I know, I know for a fact that there is some negotiation that goes on between, you know, row ceremony picks in the beginning weeks, you know, and I think, you know, if, if there are, if you are giving out, you know, 18 roses, you know, you get to pick, you know, 12 of them and the producers get to pick six of them if there isn't already like in the Venn diagram, some overlap there. Um, and, and so certainly, you know, they need to keep, you know, in, in those beginning weeks can be kind of boring. So you, you need that. It's the same formula. So you need that kind of drama. You need those personalities to be entertaining for some comic relief, you know, and then when it gets down to the top 10, really, then it's just, it's really is just about the connection and finding this person, um, a husband or a wife or, or a partner. And, and, and it, it tends to focus less on the drama, um, or at least the intent is to focus less on the drama. But sometimes, you know, contestants can't help themselves and they just give you, they, they give you that without, without you even asking or prompting. I agree. And I even think like when someone, like you said, Victoria, like when she looks around and says, it's not going to be me. Okay. That's one thing. And then producers want to keep you. I think the opposite too, like after you've been around like this girl kit, I don't know if you're watching it. Like she just took herself out of it. She has like her mother's a famous fashion designer or whatever. I'm not even getting into why she was necessarily there, but she decided to go home, but she was on enough weeks. I'm so cynical and from New York, I even think like when you decide to walk away yourself, that's, I think, a move on your own part, too, in that you'll remember mm-hmm. the one or two people that said, I'm not interested in you, I'm going home. If you realize at a point it'll never be you, I think yeah. that's something. That's a, that's a calculation. And then, you know, as if your goal is to be the next Bachelorette or whatever, and then, you know, as it gets closer and closer to being a top two or whatever, then you, you're faced with the decision, like, if that's, your, if that's your ultimate goal. If you're like, don't really love 
this person, this man, and I, I'd rather be the next bachelorette, then you kind of have to eliminate yourself and send yourself home if that's your goal. And it's awkward. And then it becomes awkward because if, you know, that never works because that comes back to bite you because, you know, it, it's one of those things, if you're gunning for it, you're, you're not going to get it right. Like they are smart. They don't want that. And also the viewers for the most part, at least, you know, say what you want about the majority of bachelor nation, but they're at least smart enough to, to see through when it's, when it's not genuine. They don't want the person who's there for Instagram followers and fame. No, certainly not. Unless that person is just so otherwise beloved, like, you know, like the guy Tyler, for example, from Adam Brown season. Um, he's, he's just so famous and, 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 you know, obviously, you know, easy on the eyes. Right. So a lot of America would love to see him as the bachelor and, and I'm sure he could, you know, get some very, you know, interesting and high, high quality women there. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, for the most part, no, I think people want to believe in the love story and, 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 or they want to hate on it and, and hate tweet and, and, you know, be uh, sort of cynical and, and, and make fun of it. And, you know, and, and you could do both things, I guess, with, with someone who's a, a genuine lead. Well, Gigi Hadid slipped into his DMs and he, dated her for a hot second yeah you know when mike johnson had a moment with demi lovato like did you ever have anyone slip into your dms after you were on the show i'll plead the fifth on that uh no one like no one is high profile as, as Gigi hadid and or you know or demi lovato but um but yeah you, you all we all go through that um men and women uh with the, with the dm stuff and um, it's flattering. It's interesting. Nothing, I will say, nothing has really result. Nothing has resulted in, in a long-term relationship on, on, on my end from that, um, unfortunately. But what about, you know, all this stuff? I mean, I know you're not watching now, but what about all this stuff that's like, as your Twitter blows up, that's going on like with Rachel Kirkconnell, you know, and that she has this past, like, you know, this racially insensitive behavior, and I mean, you have to, I mean, you have to live under a rock to, I mean, it changes every hour on the hour. And now yeah. she's made a statement apologizing. Matt has made a statement. Chris Harrison went and spoke to Lindsay. Now Chris has stepped away. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. Well, I think, I think we can start by saying something that should be obvious. And unfortunately it shouldn't have to be said, but there should be no place on the bachelorette or on any other television show for someone who is a racist, for someone who is a white supremacist, or someone who likes or supports or retweets or whatever um, racist and white supremacist, you know, statements or sentiments. Like there is no place, those people should not be deserving of a spot, uh, you know, in a, in a very in a very limited cast and, and should not be, des and are not deserving of, of 15 minutes of fame or a platform to, um, you know, to, to further amplify those kinds of, of views, like not in 2021 and not in 2018, Chris Harrison. Like, I mean, that this is, that should go without saying 2018 is not 1968. And it, I, I think for someone with as much media training as Chris Harrison, he has more media training than probably anyone in, on any show right now that's on because he's been, he's been through it so much for him to make that mistake. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, when someone shows who you, who they are, you, you, you know, you have to believe them. Right. And, and, and I, I think he does, you know, believe that, uh, 
about what he said. And I think these apologies, unfortunately, only come after he's, you know, after he's received a lot of backlash. Otherwise, I don't know that he even would have apologized, but for the backlash. So, you know, I hope that his apology and everything else is sincere and genuine, um, but I'm skeptical. And I guess only, you know, time will tell uh, as to whether or not that's true. But in the meantime, we, sh- we need to do a better job, uh, Bachelor Nation and, and the people involved, of, of vetting these people out. I mean, this is 2021. You can, find, you can find easily on Rachel's social media that she went to a plantation style, you know, party in, in college that had Confederate flags, et cetera. I mean, like, that is not a difficult thing to find. You do not have to work for the FBI to find that. And I will tell you that they have, as, their, as, their, as some of their background check people, former FBI. So they even have FBI people working, you know, former FBI agents who now are involved in doing these kinds of background checks. And, and you know, you, you have to look into these things, whether it's whether it's that where it's issues of, of race and, the, you know, the issue with, um, you know, Becca's guy, Garrett, you know, liking all these homophobic and transphobic and racist, transphobic and, and racist, you know, uh, posts on Instagram and everything else like these. These are easily discoverable things. This should not, you know, this day and age, that, that's all part of it. And, and those people don't, I'm sorry, those people don't have a place on television. And, and if they're put there, then you have to wonder um, if they're put there intentionally because we recognize that, you know, 55% of Bachelor Nation consists of, of people who are, you know, the, the MAGA types. Well, that's what I was going to yeah. Also what? Depressing. Well, that's what I was going to say, like, you know, just in terms of the, you know, listen, like, I'm Bravo, Stassi and Kristen, I don't know if you know these people, Stassi should have, like, they were fired for certain things that they had done. It's like, you would think after that, I mean, again, I don't know what it was like when you were on, but I imagine a a network like ABC, and now you say there's FBI involved, like, they have to do extensive background checks. So how could, like, someone found this on TikTok in what, an hour, three, three, three hours? How could this not have been discovered? Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, um, yeah, they, they have, they, they pay and they hire multiple background check, you know, people. You meet with one during your finalist weekend and you fill out paperwork and you sort of affirm and swear that you're, you're not leaving anything out. Um, uh, excuse me, but something like that is something that you as a, as a contestant may think in your own mind, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. And, but that is, uh, that is why it's up to them, you know, that it is their duty to, to investigate that more fully. And, and when they let that slide, you know, you have to question whether or not they knew about, about this, these, these cast members past and whether or not they chose to just ignore it or put them on anyway, because it, you know, sort of these controversies um, ultimately get people talking about the show and, and, and unfortunately don't really result in, in poor ratings or lack of viewership. Um, if anything, you now have, you know, you now have people on the right side of the spectrum who, you know, um, watch it even, who are just going to watch it now even more because they, they want to root for people who, you know, the type of people that, you know, show up to the insurrections of the Capitol on January 6th with Confederate flags. Do you think they turn a blind eye, though, more because they are trained relationship experts, like, and say, she's actually really good and is going to go far for, like, Matt? Or is it like, oh, this will somehow come out, cha-ching, cha-ching, like you just said? Like, I don't know. Obviously, 
Rachel on, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I haven't been watching the season religiously enough, but she's obviously, she's very attractive. She seems composed and, and, and seems very, you know, seems like she came off well on the show, you know, and if I miss something, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But um, so I think she had those, you know, she certainly had a lot of, of wonderful qualities about her, but, you know, and this is one of the things that obviously would not come out, um, you know, right away on the show. I mean, but this is why you do those background checks because then, then as this, as you elevate this person and give this person this platform that, you know, no one is entitled to, right. You know, you are, you are giving this person this platform. And if, and if they're going to, like I said, if they're going to use this platform or if they have used their platform in the past to amplify racist or white supremacist views or, you know, views that have no place in any society, let alone ours, um, then, you know, really it's shame on you. And yeah, well, and I think, doesn't it also say that we know who wins? I mean, if we really, she didn't win, like I've seen other shows where there's like a warning or a statement before and after the show that says, we didn't know this when we cast her, period, because the person's going to be eliminated in five weeks. To me, it's like, didn't this just give away the whole show? I mean, that's not the point. I get it. But it's just another point. I think she yeah, wins. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what what her status was on the show. Um, but it also, you know, opens up things for you know, she in the running was she in the running to be the Bachelorette or for Bachelor Paradise, right? You know, that's another thing now that that contestants think about when they do the show is, you know, okay, I'm not going to be the next Bachelorette or Bachelor, but this is my Bachelor in Paradise audition you know, cough, Victoria, cough, right? I mean, that she's like, that. that is the kind of personality you want, like on a beach drinking tequila with other cast members, right? Like, like th- yeah. they are also cognizant of that as well. Um, but then you have, you know, someone like Garrett that Becca ended up with, who was, you know, very much on the far right side of the spectrum, really was not bashful about that. He gave a very sincere apology that was essentially crafted by Becca, I'm sure, um, for what he did and, and said he was going to learn. And, and we all know he, he, he didn't learn. I mean, he continued during the George Floyd protests after, you know, he was suffocated to death for, you know, allegedly passing a, a counterfeit $10 bill. You know, he's tweeting out things about, you know, the thin blue line and all these, you know, blue lives matter nonsense. And yeah, I mean, so it's all BS. It's all PR and BS. Like th- these people, that is the point. And, and I made this point when I was interviewed back at the time when, when Garrett, you know, was, was shown to have liked these kinds of posts, people who have that, those views in their heart, those people do not change. Not at this point. No, they, 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 I, it's so rare. And, and I almost think it's impossible for those people to change. If they, if they are so far on that side of the spectrum and have so much hate in their heart for these groups of people. And, and, you know, how, how can they just, you know, in a year or two totally become um, kind and empathetic and, and, you know, um, I don't know. I, I just don't see that as being possible. That, 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 that person is who he is. I, 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 that makes sense. What about someone like Crystal? Like now he's stepped aside. Is that Chris stepping aside, do you think? Or is it like ABC saying we, we need to talk? I don't know. I'm sure Chris, I, I don't know. This is pure speculation. I, I think Chris probably um, was talked to and probably agreed that the best thing for both would be for him to, to, 
to take a break. I think, you know, the amount of the attention this has gotten and the heat that it's gotten is, you know, I think it's the only solution. And I think he was probably approached and they said, you know, look, uh, this is what we propose to do, and, and we, we think it should be a mutual decision, and we'd like you to be on board. And I'm sure he said, yes, you know, I, I will be on board. That does make sense. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, look, he just, unfortunately, I, I, you know, I, I think he uh, made mistakes, but mistake, using the word mistake is, is just such a, just doesn't, doesn't quite cut it me I, I think that's who he is i think he's unfortunately the kind of white moderate that someone like dr king lamented so much in his letters from an alabama jail when he was talking about like the real threat you know to um progress you know and now today in, in the black lives matter movement isn't isn't the you know the racists and the kkk and the white supremacists like those people are there and they're extreme and and you know you're not going to change them but it's it's the white moderates who are the the sort of yeah but yeah but you're you know you destroyed a target or yeah but you know those kind or no let's do it peacefully let's not do it now and seem to dictate you know time what the right time and right places to to protest you know systemic injustices and um and unfortunately, Chris Harrison is a white moderate. That's who he is. He's, he's a Texas guy um, from Dallas area. And, and you know, I, I think he is socially uh, liberal. I, I believe that. But I think that these issues are just, uh, you know, I don't think he feels, I don't think he feels comfortable addressing them. And obviously he doesn't, he did a terrible job of it. And, you know, so I don't know, you know, whether that he went off the rails or he wasn't, you know, properly coached or what, but, you know, when you're talking to someone like Rachel Lindsay, you know, you, you have to know what, where, where things are going with that, you know, especially, and you have to be better prepared and, and you know, at least, um, and, yeah, and better educated. And, and unfortunately, I, I think he spoke what was, what was true in his heart. So I don't take it you feel he should be back. I, I, it's look, it's hard to imagine The Bachelor without Chris Harrison. He's the face of the franchise. But because of that, because he's the face of the franchise after what happened, I, you know, I, I don't know what I would never say never. But I, I don't know what I would I would need to see in order to feel comfortable that he really genuinely and sincerely knows how badly he he messed up and why his views are so hurtful and offensive to the people who are victimized and affected by, um, you know, by the kinds of people who go to, you know, plantation themed parties, you know, I, I just, I don't know how else to, to put it, you know, it's just, um, it's really disappointing. Um, and uh, I don't think you can unscramble that egg. Who do you think would be, a, so let's just say he's not coming back, who do you think should take over? Uh, I don't know. I, I, that's a great question. Um, I, I am not sure. I am not sure. I'm also not, I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people and, and I, I, I see some, um, I, I can understand the support for, for Rachel, you know, to take over some hosting duties. Um, you know, obviously I would love to see, you know, persons of color and, and, and black cast members, you know, come back and have a, have a role in that. But I also just think, I also think, the, you know, for better or for worse, the, the Bachelor can kind of function without a host, you know, I mean, I think that 
I, I think the amount of duties are, you know, I think it's, it's fun. You know, it was always fun and entertaining to have Chris on and everything else. But I think, I, I don't know that the show really needs that. I think they can, I think, you know, they can have guest hosts, you know, to, to do different, different seasons and different episodes. And, and I think, you know, everyone can sort of stand up there and MC a rose ceremony. I think anyone who's watched the show twice in their lives could, could do that job. Interesting. I didn't even think of that, that like without a host or like you see like a producer, I guess, just walking people into the ceremony or, but, or like you said, like maybe guest hosts like past Bachelor Nation people. Yeah, I, I think you could have, or you could, I mean, look, the show is, is so popular and it's been around for so long that there are so many celebrities who love the show and watch it religiously and, and who would probably jump at the chance to be a host for a day, you know, kind of thing, and, and to do that. And I, I think that would be fun. I, I mean, Jimmy Kimmel could certainly do it. I know that. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I hesitate to suggest, you know, another white man to, to take the role. But, I, you know, Jimmy Kimmel is obviously someone we, we know what his views are on these important issues. And, um, and, 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 and he has, you know, been a long time fan of the franchise and, and has done some, you know, a number of uh, spots on the show and, and guest appearances. So, you know, certainly he could take over seamlessly, but, you know, also I think we should, we should just give it to certain guests and, and fun celebrities. I think that would, that would um, draw, draw some excitement. Interesting. And speaking of Claire, I know you know her, and then we'll, I promise we'll stay on track and we can wrap up. What do you think of all of that? I mean, you know her, she had her chance. Now she's single again. Talk to me about all that. And I mean, yeah, do you still you know, do you still speak to Claire? Like, are you close with her? Now? I do. Yeah, I do still speak to her. I, I try not to. When I talk to her, it's more as a friend to say, "Hey, how are you doing? I'm here if you need me." And and you know, and 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 she's been, you know, understandably had a heartbroken and is having a tough time. I, I did recently just see some photos of her with Dale somewhere. Uh, whether it's the reports are saying it's Venice, Florida. I don't know if it's Venice, Florida or Venice, California or what, but, you know, that's certainly interesting. And, and I have not spoken to her since that. So I don't know if there's been, you know, an update, but I know obviously she was very hurt by what took place and by, you know, Dale issuing this statement that was issued as a joint statement that, you know, she did not know was being released. And, um, you know, and, and obviously then, you know, the, all the reports and the social media and the speculation and everything else as to, to why he did what he did. But, you know, again, there's a situation where you have someone who already is, um, has a lot going for him and is a, a, a model and a host and a former football player and, you know, and has a big social media following even before the, before the show. It's kind of like, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not there. I have not been there with the two of them alone. So I, you know, who am I to say, but it is, it is hard to sort of overcome this, this assumption that he may not be there to, to, to marry Claire and to, you know, live with her in, in Sacramento, you know, where her family is and where her mother is. Um, you know, it, it, it makes a lot more sense that he's there to increase his fame and following and, and, you know, at, at 31 and, you know, eight years younger than, than she is and, and, uh, and, and already has a, a successful following and to do things with, with modeling and hosting or wherever else his goals are uh, in life. Uh, it, it is much more, you know, I, I think it's much more reasonable to think that, but I'm not saying it's impossible and I don't know him personally to, to know that. And so I don't want to say that that's definitely the case, but, but, uh, you know, it's not really that surprising, I guess, if you think of it that way. 
have you told this to Claire? I, uh, you know, I don't want to divulge the contents of my conversations with Claire, but I will say that I did say something that I think is true for many of us, and it is certainly true for myself. Sometimes the things that make someone so attractive and so appealing um, are also the things that make them not the most ideal long-term romantic partner. What do you mean by that? I think, you know, we can be attracted to someone for being, you know, dynamic and, 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 and fun and out there and, and so, you know, attractive and, you know, physically attractive and all these things. But um, sometimes because they are all those things, they're also just on a different path and are not on the same page at certain points, you know, unless it's the, per the exact right time in their life or, and you are that one person for them. And so I think that sometimes those things make those kinds of people not, not the most ideal committed partners because they have all of that and, and it's so fun and it, and it makes them exciting. You know, they're, they're a challenge, they're exciting, they're, you know, they're, they're giving you the roller coaster, the high highs and the low lows, but that's not what makes for a healthy long-term relationship, right? It should be someone that, you know, keeps you more or less stable, that someone that is, you know, is, is dependable and is there for you and is not, you know, throughout everything and is not giving, you know, and, and obviously you want to feel the butterflies and feel all those fun feelings and um, uh, feel chemistry and attraction, but, but is not giving you the high highs and the low lows and, and causing you to sort of spiral um, and go through those, uh, go through those phases. I don't, I don't think that's healthy. And, and I, but I, I understand it's like, sometimes it's like a moth to a flame. We, we see those things and, you know, and I am, you know, I am uh, guilty of that as well with some of the women I've, I've, dated and, and sought and, and, you know, and you try to convince yourself that you're going to, you know, they're going to be a relationship person and everything else, but really, you know, they were never going to be that and nor were they ever. And, and it's sort of, you know, something that played out in just in your mind and you, you, you went after them for those other exciting uh, sort of qualities that are, are much more difficult to, to harness and rein in. I, that all makes a lot of sense. It's almost like that's how you should be, you know, at like 20, 23, and then you realize that's not the adult version of love. Totally, but now, you know, David, obviously like, you know, with 40 being the new 30 and 30 being the new 20 and everything, I mean, we're all in different, and then with the pandemic and everything, I mean, we're all settling down later in life and, and you know, so, so age just doesn't mean what it used to. You would think, you know, a, a 32 year old man or woman would be ready, you know, to settle down, but no, there are some 32 year old men and women who act like they're what used to be 22. And there's some, you know, and it, the reverse can be true. It's, it's more rare, but there could be a 24 year old or 25 year old out there who is much more mature and wise beyond their years and, and much more settled and less volatile and, and less unstable than someone in their thirties or even forties. I mean, you know, men too, we, we, you know, there are men, obviously I know the women in New York, Miami, LA, they all lament the, the Peter Pan syndrome that men, you know, that men have where they, they don't want to grow up where they're, you know, in their thirties and forties and they're still trying to, 
well, not during pandemic, but still going to nightclubs and buying bottles and trying to hit on the, you know, 20 year old women. And, you know, and so it goes both ways, you know, it's, it's for all genders and sexes and, and, you know, but so age is, age really is just a number and, and especially today. So it is hard to detect. And when you are telling yourself what you want to hear and you're believing what you want to believe, and that person is also, unfortunately, saying the right things in the beginning at least and you want to believe those things it's really hard to to take an objective you know 20,000 foot look and be like whoa wait a second this per there are a lot of red flags here that i am that i'm overlooking because of how this person validates me and makes me feel because of how attractive they are and how exciting they are and how you know popular they are etc I agree with all that too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I give great relationship advice and I understand how it works. I'm, I'm a dating yeah. mess. Like, don't get me wrong. I do not have things <laughs> do figured out. Not as I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a mess. So this isn't yeah. a judgment like, Oh, I've got it all figured oh, I'm out. Yeah. I'm a mess too. I'm a I'm mess. Very, yeah. I just give great advice to others. That really is the right advice. I just choose to not use any right. of it myself. I, I don't know. There's some disconnect in my life. So I don't know what that is. Professionally, I have it together. I've always had it together no matter what my career is. Personally, I'm just like a dating. I'm a good friend. What, so you are single now? Yes. What is your type? Like, you know, you don't want to answer who slipped into your DMs. It's no Demi Lovato's or Gigi's, but maybe other people we even know. But like, who, like, what's your type? Like, who in Bachelor Nation? Who famous? Just like, you know, physically, I um, guess. Yeah, uh, my type, you know, I, I don't really, I honestly, it's not a cop out. I don't really have like a, a set type. I, I kind of just like, I know it when I see it, but, but certainly someone obviously who's has a great sense of humor, someone who is intelligent. I, yeah, I, I like a pretty face, a nice smile. You know, that's the most important. I'm not one of those guys who's like, you know, she could, or, you know, her, her face could be whatever, as long as her body is that, you know, I'm not one of those guys physically. I like a pretty face and a nice smile. And, um, you know, I tend to go for women who are, you know, athletic fit, uh, over, over curvy, but that doesn't mean I, I am not attracted to women who are curvy too. I, I think, um, you know, definitely girl next door, naturally pretty, um, those are my like physical types. And then, like I said, sense of humor, politically, you know, on the same page as I am. Um, and yeah, those are the most important things. It has, it has kindness and empathy, you know, those things, compassion, you know, those things are too often overlooked uh, and, and can be the most important quality someone can have if you want a long-term partner. Well, you see, this is why you should watch The Bachelor because, you know, being part of Bachelor Nation, you can just watch to see who's not picked and who's not going to end up with Matt James or The Bachelor every season. And then just slip into their DMs and be like, I saw you on TV. And we all know yeah. that that doesn't mean you really know how they are, but that would be a good start. I'm sure, you know, you're part of Bachelor Nation. You know, I, I think the, the age bracket, uh, Matt's what, 28, 29. I'm, I'm turned 40 um, this past year. I, I think, you know, I, I think I probably, you know, there, there may be exceptions, but I at least think I need someone in, in her 30s. And I think... Um, those uh, cast members are few and far between these days. So, you know, I don't, I, I no longer uh, am looking to Bachelor Nation to find me love. Let's put it that way. I mean, listen, I have other friends that agree with this. I agree with that. That is why I like Claire's season. It is to me, you know, no age shaming or I agree, you know, at 40, you could have Peter Pan syndrome, but I do like it when it's an older skew because to me, at least it's like, 
I don't know. Who knows? Matt might find his love and ends up together. But I just am that like, you're 28. This will be good for now. But how is this going to work? It could. What the hell do I know? But I, I like the older skewing when that's what I liked about Claire. I wish it would yeah. skew older more. Well, especially in 2021, it's a lot more believable. You know, like I, that's why I thought Peter's season was such a mess because he was a mess. Um, not Not a bad person at all, but just obviously had a lot of insecurities and a lot of issues with, with validation and, and how he gets that and, you know, could never be the bad guy, had to be liked by everyone. And then the women are 23 and 22 and, and gosh, I mean, God bless them, but, you know, and, and come from the Bible belt and everything else. And, and, uh, you know, I think, um, maybe if they had just existed in that world, maybe, you know, they would have been ready for marriage and that kind of commitment. But once they're thrust on into the limelight and the spotlight and, and, you know, um, you know, I think they just still have, you know, a lot of life left to live before they become uh, settle down and become, you know, a part someone's partner and, and, you know, and, and start to have children. And, you know, I, I just think um, it's a lot more believable, at least that, you know, people in their, in their thirties, at least are, are want to find love and, and, are at that stage in their life where they can commit to that. I agree. So before we say goodbye and wrap up, you never answered like just someone famous, anyone famous, like you mentioned curves, like a Kardashian, like who famous would you just, oh, um, it doesn't have well, to be I personality. Like my, I love, I love Rachel McAdams, you know, like that would be my like very pretty seem like great sense of humor. She does comedies, she does drama. I mean, like if I'm picking an actress and she's just like so naturally pretty, like and down to earth, um, that would be like my kind of girl. I also like, do have a, a crush on Jennifer Lawrence as well. Um, very pretty and obviously I love her sense of humor and, and you know, and in interviews, et cetera. So, you know, those, I'd say those kinds of women are, are definitely, you know, the, the celebrity crushes, I would say. And Jennifer Lawrence, I think, is really down to earth and just, you know. She, she comes across that way. Who knows? I, I don't know. You know, she could not be. I mean, she's so mega famous and, and wealthy. Who knows? She, she may not be, but she, she at least, you know, comes across that way in, in her interviews. And I, I think it's really, you know, sort of endearing. Well, I think you also picked two people that are married, but you know, we're just, that wasn't the point of this. This was just, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that kind of, that would be my luck as well. You know, um, all join the, the club. The ones are taken, right? Join the club. Um, is there anything else you want to discuss before we leave? I had my own agenda. So anything, I mean, tell Claire that I, I say hello. I mean, not that she knows me, but you know, hopefully it'll all work out with her. And uh, it, yeah, it must so. be hard going through something like this, like in the public eye, I can't even imagine that. Whole yeah, aspect. it is. I mean, you know, everyone's like, you know, obviously, look, you sign up for this and, and you do and, and you always you do. Uh, honestly, you go in with your eyes wide open and there are certain outcomes you expect and are foreseeable. And this is one of them, a, a public breakup. But it's still that doesn't make it any easier to go through. And in fact, like you suggested, it makes it 10 times harder when you have everyone you know, being an armchair, you know, relationship therapist or whatever, and, and chiming yeah. in on social media and everything else. And, you know, I think everyone, you know, look, I, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, but everyone, you know, needs to practice some kindness and some, some empathy here, like I said, and some compassion, you know, it's not an easy thing. And, and I do hope, you know, whatever uh, these photos show, maybe she hopefully either she got some closure or, or they work things out. And, you know, I'm anxious to hear what, what ends up happening from that, but I hope so, because I, I, you know, I really do only want, you know, the best for Claire and I want her to be happy and, and she deserves that. That's good. And anything else you want to bring up that I didn't bring up? 
No, David, that, that's about it. It was, a, it was a really a pleasure meeting you, and I, I thank you for taking the time and for inviting me, and, and um, you know, I, I um, hope we, we talk again sometime soon. Yeah, sorry to keep you from your day job and go over. No, it's okay. I'm looking it. over my shoulder here at my other screen, and I, you know, I do need to get back. To I'm get back. sure. No, I appreciate it, and yes, you <laughs> will come back on anytime. Everyone, just tell everyone where they can follow you online. Yeah, thanks everyone. You can you can follow me. I'm uh, not very creative with my social media handles, so I'm I'm on Twitter at Michael Garofola, that's G A R O F O L A, and on Instagram also at Michael Garofola, G A R O F O L A. I love it. Keep in touch. You've been great. I really appreciate your time. No, my pleasure. It was fun, David. Let's let's talk again soon. Definitely. All right. I'll see Have you a later, good one, buddy. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at behind velvet rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the velvet rope on Apple podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you, guys. See you soon.